0: Hey everybody! Welcome to the show. This is Evan. I hope you're having a really cool day. This is a really awesome episode. I sat down on Friday of last week with Adam Caesar, uh, a horror writer and author of "Clown in a Cornfield" and "Clown in a Cornfield 2. Now, I kind of the, the way that I found these this I mean, the first book at least was is kind of funny. Like I used to work in downtown Portland. I don't work down there anymore. Um, but every day before work, I would I would make a point to to get on the bus a little early. So I could go to Powell's and just kind of walk around. It was kind of, like, you know, how it is in bookstores. It was kind of like this meditative thing I would do to kind of put myself in the right mindset before I had to go, like, make food for people all night. So I'm walking around in Powell's, and I don't really go to the to the YA section that often because I'm just not as familiar with that section as I as I would be with the big giant science fiction fantasy section uh, that is in Powell's. But for some reason. I wander down into the YA section, and you know how YA books look. There's a lot of like, there's a lot of like, uh, like the color, you know, red or blue or black or white or really, really stark, pretty colors, <laughs> for lack of a better term, in the YA section. And this book, this red and black book was sticking out like a sore thumb, and I kind of just made straight for it. And it was Clown in a Cornfield. And I had never heard of it. I had never seen it or anything. But just something about the font and the image on the front and the color and everything. I was like, let's go for it. And so I, I think I had like turned it around and I thought this is a, it said slasher on it or something akin to that. And so I was just excited. So I went home and and I just kind of like opened the first couple pages and immediately I was just, I just really enjoyed it. Um, and so I'm so excited that I got to talk to Adam, because not only did he write a couple really awesome books that I think you should definitely read, um, if you are a fan of horror, and kind of like that that kind of Stephen King, Stranger Things, like small town vibe, and just a lot of weird stuff going on, that's a blast, um, but he also was working on some Dark Tower, st- uh, Dark Tower, some Dark Crystal stuff, and <laughs> that like that like completely sent me over the line. I just, I knew I had to talk to this guy and we had an awesome conversation. And this is that conversation. So thank you so much for, you know, queuing into something where you might not have had these books on your radar. Maybe you do and you wanted to hear more from the author, whatever the situation is, this is just an awesome conversation between two mega nerds. <laughs> I was, You know, like when you're kind of getting right into a conversation with somebody and you're kind of feeling it out, you know, you're like, how much of a nerd should I let on that I actually am? uh adam and i clicked as soon as we got on this call you know like way before i hit the record button and we'll definitely have him on again at some point but yeah it was a blast uh everybody i hope you're all doing really good i hope you're all reading things that you really enjoy uh, watching cool stuff playing cool video games turtling out you know under the covers with a flashlight and a, and a really good book um but yeah this is my interview with adam caesar and i really appreciate you all listening and being here Welcome to Book Reviews Kill, a podcast about fantasy, science fiction, and horror novels. I'm Evan, and today I'm sitting down with Adam Caesar, author of Clown in a Cornfield and its sequel, Clown in a Cornfield 2, Friendo Lives, which releases on August 23rd of this year. Adam, thank you so much for sitting down with me today.
1: Thank you, Evan. Thanks for having me. I'm glad we're People can't see this because it's an audio format, but we're we're in our dueling offices with all our cool stuff around us. So. We have a lot
0: of shelves behind us right <laughs> <Yeah>. now. <laughs> this is this
1: is like we're doing this. We're coming to you live from the end of Indiana Jones. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we're getting so close to release day. How are you yeah. feeling? How are you feeling the weeks before your new book comes out?
1: Um, well, just yesterday, I got a uh, I got a box full of author copies. So that really that makes it real. Um, this whole time, I've been I've been really pushing this book hard because. I really really believe in it. This is like uh, my 10th or 11th full novel or or full like release on its own and I just um, second YA book and I'm just incredibly proud of it and I knew that pre-orders were really important. So people who've heard me on podcasts before who've like uh, seen my face pop up on like TikTok and Twitter and stuff like that are not shocked that i'm like yeah i'm excited like uh, (laughs) because i've been doing it for six months but i i'm i'm so 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 excited that it's finally here i can't wait to go see it in the store and start hearing what people think about it
0: yeah i mean i had the happy privilege of reading it before release date it was and i I loved it it was really really cool i liked it more than the first book honestly uh, which is a very good thing for a sequel i would say and speaking of books uh, are you reading anything cool right now
1: uh, I'm reading, a, I'm actually reading a YA horror book right now. It's not out for a little while, um, but it's Delicious Monsters by LaSalle Sambury.
0: Delicious Monsters?
1: Delicious Monsters is a good, good title, good cover, and, and uh, very much not um, kind of YA horror I write because I've tended to write um, slashers and very um, corporeal horror and very kind of poppy things. It's, it's a, a dual narrative uh, haunted house story. Where you're not even, at the beginning, you're not even quite sure is one back in time is one not like you're not even sure which like the dominant timeline is in this like kind of switching story. It's really, really good. I I, To to say any more than that is to kind of spoil what the conceit is, but it's, it's really, really good.
0: Is haunted house horror technically architectural horror? I know some of it definitely is like I think of like
1: Sarah Langan's like Audrey's door which is like about architecture
0: (laughs) yeah or like House of I think House of Leaves is technically
1: oh yeah this is this is kind of YA maybe not you don't have to read it with like uh, an abacus and like a uh, (laughs) an Excel spreadsheet next to you so it's like it's not it's kind of like that like I'm sure like the the pitch to some people would be like oh it's YA House of Leaves but it's not really that so
0: I'm speaking about slasher like the genre that or the subgenre, I should say, that Clown in a Cornfield is. Like, what, what was it about the slasher subgenre of horror that attracted you to writing it?
1: Um, for most of my career, um, we'd actually started talking about this a little bit before we recorded. Uh, my, my kind of artistic concern or literary concern is film, and we're fiction and film kind of intersect my first uh my first release book was called *Tribesmen*. it's about kind of a cannibal holocaust homage but it's got a supernatural twist to it so it's like i like calling it uh the shining meets lost so the shining on an island Whoa. um and then my book after that which was the first book i completed was video night which is um about teenagers who are obsessed with vhs horror movies and an alien invasion story kind of threaded in that so like i'm i've always been writing about movies and i wanted to write I wanted to still write about movies, but not because I I think the like important rule that I sat down with when I started writing clown in the cornfield. And I was like, these kids aren't horror movie fans was like my main thing. I was like, I didn't want a lot of references in it. I didn't want it to be like filled with references. And now like you look flash forward, you see um, Stephen Graham Jones is my heart is a chainsaw, which is like the exact opposite. It's, It's the idea of like someone who has his lives and breathes slashers being in the slasher, which is fantastic. And one of the best books I've ever read, but I didn't wanna do that, especially with a YA audience. I wanted to come in like, you don't have to know these things to enjoy this. But I am such an admirer of the structure and the mise-en-scene and all this stuff, like all the stuff associated with slashers, the regionality of slashers, which is a big part of Clown of the Cornfield, this kind of invented town that I wanted to feel like you went there and you shot a horror movie because it feels real. All that stuff appealed to me and it's because the slasher to me I know there are literary slashers, but to me, dominantly, it is a cinematic subgenre. And I wanted to kind of, let's see the best I could do, um, translate that experience into literature, which is something that I'm also interested in and also love. So that's that's my really hoity-toity answer for that question. But uh, it's because I've been writing about movies, and it's because it seemed like another way of cheating my way into writing about movies, even though I'm not writing about movies.
0: I think you did a really good job with it. I mean, there are multiple parts in both of these books where you kind of get that, that same feel when as when you're watching a slasher movie of someone's in this area with our, the person that we're with. That is, in my opinion, I haven't watched a ton of slashers, but I think that's one of the key parts of those oh, kinds yeah. of movies is like that intimacy, that kind of like unknown, that you're getting two people so close to each other. And, oh, yeah. and the, the irony there is just- Yeah, the dramatic
1: irony and like the, the like overlapping voyeurism of like watching- watching a film because film is inherently voyeuristic, but the idea of, of, of first, per, you know, perspective shots, like you have that inside, outside the house scene in Halloween, which is like, you know, such a shot over the bow and the, the perspective shots in black Christmas that, you know, precede it, like, so there's, there is that. And it's hard to do. It's not like, it's not easy to do in fiction because it, or it's not blazingly apparent how you would translate that idea to fiction because it's not a visual medium. So it's, I love the idea of let's try to figure out how to do that. Um, without just being like, you can't just go boo. You can't do just like a jump scare. You know, it's it's different. So I love the the challenge of that and the how best to execute the feeling I'm trying to evoke.
0: How do you know that you've evoked that feeling? I mean, do you kind of like creep yourself out a little bit? Do you have to wait? <laughs> you do have to wait. That's the thing.
1: Like Where I'm like, things that, things that are apparent to me that as scary, sometimes, you know, you're kind of in constant conversation with your editor, especially between drafts. And then like, you'll see something and it's like, well, this didn't read to me, or I don't understand why this is scary. And it's sometimes it's like, okay, it's time to reformulate that. And sometimes it's like, what's scary to one person is not scary to everyone. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes I kind of like, not that I do this that often, because I'm, I feel like I'm a pretty editable writer and I'm pretty, pretty open to notes. But there's, there's been a few things, um, not to spoil anything, but the pool scene in Clown Two, in Clown of the Cornfield Two, the, the, the reveal of, of, the pool. Um, mm-hmm. I was like. I, I kind of, I, I, maybe I'm misremembering it. Maybe I'm throwing my other under the bus, but I remember there being some pushback on that. And I'm like, no, that's scary. And then like, like the, the, this, you're the second interview I've done for this book and the first interview, like literally the guy brought it up on the phone call. So I was like, there you go. There's my evidence. Uh, (laughs) I was right. So it's like, it's a, it's a mix of like being open and being honest with yourself to be like, do I think this is good? Do I think this is scary? Or like, you know, it's a mix.
0: I mean, you're the guy with all the horror movies back there. So let's, uh, we, let's defer to you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's the thing. That's the thing. I, I, and I, I don't even, you bring up an interesting point where people watch and read horror for all different reasons in doing this and in talking with people. And in like, I'm a, I'm a social media guy. I, you know, we're both, we both are like in kind of recommending films and hearing some people's pushback on when I recommend a film and they're like, nah, it sucked because it wasn't scary or whatever. Like, first of all, I, I hate those kinds of comments, but everyone's entitled to their op- own opinion. So, you know, keep commenting. It, it bumps the algorithm up. But, uh, like, the idea that, like, something has to be one thing. Like, you, I don't go into... I weirdly, because I watch so much horror um, and read so much horror, I kind of don't go into horror with any set goals for a book or a movie. It's like, this has to do the X to me. Like, I, I'm more than happy to take the ride and... Something doesn't have to be outwardly scary. I don't have to jump in my seat. I don't have to have nightmares. I don't have to, for me to be like that was effective in, within the horror genre. I get different things out of different pieces of horror media and with, with the Clown in the Cornfield books and with them being YA and with a kind of knowing that most teens are not gonna have as, as much of a foothold. in may not, may not have as much of a foothold in the genre. It may not have as much of a love for the genre that I do. I want them to kind of be all things to all possible teen readers. If that makes sense so that they're kind of, there's a lot of different kinds of horror in both of the books. And I really work overtime to cram, <laughs> cram it in there and be like, uh, I hope you get what you're looking for when you p- pick up these books while still having them be cohesive.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that one of the scarier things about these books is that um, at least for me is I, you know, I tried picturing myself being like 18 in this situation and, and, <laughs> You're already at that age, you don't have a lot of um, agency, right? Um, and you know I feel like you' you're really stretching that agency thin and that's that lends to a lot of how scary this is is because there's so there's so little control in these characters lives in these situations. you know it's not they're not just locked in a room with a killer. There's like a, a, a movement. There's there's more behind it than just ah I'm a crazy guy that was uh, you know slighted one time it's it's this whole big thing and it kind of it really does lend a lot to just it, it's almost like you can't solve this by killing or cutting it there's no head of the snake to cut off so yeah I think that was that was a good call on your part for sure thank you and I
1: and I think it stems from being like I think a lot of teens. Maybe. And again, this is just working from my own experience, but I was, I'm a fairly like anxious and paranoid guy, but I was never more anxious and paranoid than I was when I was 16. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) like, is it, you're, you're, you're put in a situation where you're, you're on display, but you don't want to be seen. And you have to see people every day and you're in a, you're in, you know, I'm talking about school here, but like, like if you were the least bit self-conscious, which every kid is self-conscious and you're usually not the least bit, usually a lot bit, it feels like you're so under a microscope and it feels like you're in such a structured system and a system that in a lot of ways feels like it's out to get you. And if you expand that beyond the school to the town, and if you expand that beyond the town to the country, how freaking paranoid would you be is, (laughs) is the non-plot synopsis synopsis of clown two is the idea that you can't go anywhere um, without that level of almost dangerous level of self consciousness.
0: Do you have any favorite horror movies? And I, if that's way too vague of a question, oh, no. uh, maybe maybe oh, no. some... we'll be here all day. Uh, yeah. Right. How about, <laughs> how about this one? How about this one? I shouldn't have even written that down. Uh, maybe <laughs> no, it's good. I, I've, I've got go-to answers, but <laughs> well, how about, how about this? Uh, maybe some gems that people might not have heard of, like that they need to watch, like must watch. Uh, must maybe watch.
1: Yeah. Um, so. I'll try to just stick with slashers if you're, if you're a fan sure, of the yeah, sure. Final of books, or if you, if you've read the first one and you're not sure whether you want to go for the second one, the second one, believe me, it's different. You'll like it. Um, check it out. But uh, I would say use these movies as kind of clout ca- palate cleansers. Um, there's a movie, there's a movie, um, I think that with shutter, if anyone has shutter, that, like it makes these movies so much more accessible because it's like movies that are, were hidden gems are not hidden gems anymore, which is a good thing.
0: Um, what is, sorry to interrupt you. What is shutter? Shudder.
1: It's AMC's it's AMC has like a streaming platform. That's like just horror movies
0: Oh, uh, cool! or
1: mostly horror movies. It's a good streamer, but I think I saw this on there the other day. I think they have uh Jeff Lieberman's just before dawn, which is a terrific um, slasher. If you like, if you like kind of woodsy slashers, if you like stuff like the burning, um, then, then just before dawn is um, one of those slashers that kind of sticks out in my mind as like one of the great ones. Um, even no, though it's so a scary. lot of, yeah, it's, it's, it's got great forest photography and it feels very, like you're out there, and then the the, the, the the killer himself has this this weird tell where he's like all he's constantly like wheezing. It's just super Ugh. creepy. I, I love I, I love Just Before Dawn. That's a slasher. If you haven't seen that one, I would check it out. Another slasher that's a, I'm sure people will find it a little bit more camp or campy. Um, I don't I don't tend to use that word because I'm such a am di- such a diehard of these of this genre. I've been completely numb to the idea of camp or the idea of cheese. Um but uh, a movie I absolutely love because it's got a really good kind of high school element to it is graduation day. Early slasher cycle slasher. So th- those are those are two.
0: I just watched uh that movie Suspiria from like the seventies. The original? Is yeah. 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 There's yeah. a remake too. Um the Luca Guardino remake is good too. Didn't Tom York do the soundtrack for that? He did. It's really oh, good. Okay, cool. Um yeah. I like Suspiria a lot. The I haven't, I haven't seen the the remake, but um I think because you, you were talking about like camp, um and I don't even Camp is just an inch away from based, so uh, I don't. I don't know. What, I don't even know. I don't even know based. I don't know these words. Oh, I mean, me <laughs> me explaining based with, is not very based. Uh, there's a whole there's a whole life cycle of it, but I mean, um, like with Suspiria, it's like you've got kind of like these over the top scenes. The blood even is is a part of the aesthetic oh, of yeah. the movie, yeah. and
1: and the, and the sets are the aesthetic, but the blood is an extension of them. Like you got right. the stained glass and the yeah to, yeah i guess that is that is like camp in one sense the idea of heightened of like super heightened to the point of like an art i think of like camp and like drag and and
0: things like yeah. that yeah the goblin soundtrack Ooh, if
1: you like that you should you should take the you should take the take the ride you should go down the um the the Dario Argento uh, rabbit hole um you should maybe hit, hit go start at the beginning start at uh the bird with the crystal plumage um i love that movie it's much more of a straight kind of thriller the movies he made f- fall into the, the category of giallo, which is a, you know Italian kiss and cousin to the slasher. If you like that, you you'd like that director's other other films. And it's funny that you mentioned the soundtrack because my my buddy and I we uh here in Philadelphia, Goblins toured a couple times with and without Claudio Simonetti. They're kind of two different bands. It's almost like uh, Danzig without the Misfits kind of thing. Right. But they played here in this like this great um, underground arts, which is technically like which is an underground venue. They were playing a 16 millimeter uh, print of Dawn of the Dead, uh, which Goblin also did the soundtrack for. They were playing that at the end, um, so we kind of like stayed an awkward amount of time. We were like, everyone for the who watched the show had left, and then everyone who was staying to watch the movie. I turned to him and I was like, "It's late. I've seen Dawn of the Dead six thousand times. Like, we should probably just go." So we leave, and as we're out there, there's there's these Italian men, all these all these like, look, they're just in the middle of nowhere because Underground Arts is kind of like it's near Chinatown, but it's not near a lot of like businesses and not a lot of like streetlights. So the middle of the night, they're like, Goblin is looking to get something to eat. I turn to my friend Scott Cole, who's who's an author as well, a fantastic short fiction writer. Um, but we were like, we, were, we saw an opportunity to be like, we should talk to them. And then they were like, they didn't, it's not like they didn't want to talk to us. They were like flagging us down. And they were like, excuse me, excuse me. Like I'm doing the <laughs> uh, uh, last name's Caesar. I can do the Italian accent, but they were like, they were hungry and they needed a place to go. So we were like, there is some, of like some of the band members, English was better than others, but we were basically like, wow, it's gonna, we're going to have a tough time explaining how they can get to Chinatown to get something to eat. So we just walked them over there and they were so gracious and so happy. They like invited us to sit with them. And we were like, this would be the most awkward midnight dinner ever if we're sitting with goblins. So we were just like, no, 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 you guys, you guys eat. So that's,
0: that's, my, that's my goblin story. That's really cool. I did not know going into this interview that you had a goblin story. So, so we talked about horror movies, but I want to ask you, do you have like a scariest horror novel that you've ever read?
1: I can give two kinds of answers because there's two sure. different kinds of scary. I will say when college, uh, the leisure paperbacks, when I was going through college, leisure was still around. And the Leisure Paperback Club was still there, and I was reading so much um, horror fiction because I was kind of kind of trying to get away from my course load of very serious, you know, English classes and very serious novels. So I wanted I wanted things I wanted things that were lighter, um, and I read a lot of kind of I read a lot of the horror canon then, in a way, um, Shirley Jackson's Haunting Hill House and all these all these different kind of canonical books um, that I was reading for pleasure. Um, and as I was going through the the bigger leisure uh, authors. I got to, um, I'd read Jack Ketchum before. Um, and I'd read, uh, I read cover, which was my first Jack Ketchum book. And I, I, that might've been either early high school or the very beginning of college. I think that was or, or, or later high school or the very beginning of college. I think it was later high school or, um, but I'd, I'd known for a while, I was like, I'm going to get, a ar- got to get around to like the big Jack Ketchum book, which is the girl next door. And I, and I, I remember very specifically reading that. And I had um, three sweet mates in the same dorm and very much just like reading it out and, and and just being like how dangerous it felt and how uncomfortable it was. And I'm not a big, like, I know that's a huge thing on TikTok, like people like being like hashtag disturbing fiction, you know, books that will make you puke out your butthole, like, like things like, <laughs> like, 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 you know, whatever, whatever like ridiculous things people put on there um, to, to get engagement, which believe me, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm clearly not below, but um, that was kind of one of the first of the bigger more disturbing more extreme books that i'd read and i was kind of I remember kind of halfway through it when things take a real turn i was like i don't know that i can do this and i pushed through and i've, I've read since read basically everything jack Ketchum's ever written so i think that in a way that was a, a kind of scary a kind of like this is dangerous and then i'll just say like just straight up s- like scary almost scary like watching a horror movie kind of turn out the like turn on the lights and like crawl under the covers kind of thing um uh, i love stephen graham jones is the only good indians and i've talked about that before and how and how you reach a certain point of that book um the motorcycle scene and 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 i re- I read that i've never done this before like i've done it with movies i've like rewound to like watch kills in like a movie and stuff like that just because <laughs> it was so like out of left field or like did it like like i want to see how they did that and and it's um it's not something i do a lot because it's probably not the best way to watch it engage with a movie um but uh i remember rereading that chapter i remember going back and being like what what like i have to reread that like um so that that's a very very scary book and a very scary scene to me um,
0: yeah i really like Stephen graham jones a lot uh i've read the only good indians and uh mongrels which uh mongrels are great yeah yeah mongrels isn't i, I wouldn't necessarily consider it a horror novel um i, mean, I, guess, it's like,
1: YA. I guess it's it's why a horror and um, this is why right. a YA coming of age werewolf fiction you know right yeah um
0: (laughs) yeah the only good indians uh, to this day is one of the most unique books i've ever it's wild
1: i've been reading him for a long time because my first world horror convention um i was actually going there to like pitch it was on long island so i had home field advantage i'm from long island i was going there to pitch video night to a publisher uh, don dior um and I'd I'd been going to all the panels and like I met uh, Dr. Jones before reading any of his work because he was like late for his panel and it was a panel I was going to. So I was like, oh, it's this way, uh, sir. Um, And then uh, and then I very shortly after that, I started reading his work and it's just so it's so good. Um, Yeah, he's my favorite writer, probably. What's your scariest? Let me turn this interview around on you. <laughs> you give me an answer. I gave you two good answers. <laughs> yeah, totally.
0: Uh, sure, yeah. Um, I mean, uh, at least as far as like actually scary, um, where I was alone at night. I mean, it wasn't at night. It was four in the morning. Um, but just because I couldn't, I just physically couldn't put the book down, but also physically wanted to throw it out the window um, was Pet Cemetery.
1: Mm, good choice. <laughs> God, man, like I mean,
0: it's there is just like the forest scares the shit out of me. Like I, I grew up in Central Oregon, it, not Bend, which is where people think Central. Like, I was in, I was south of Bend, which is like the forest. So you and, had falls back there, and yeah, like I lived, yeah. I lived on, <laughs> I, I lived on five acres of untended forest for years Whoa. when I was a kid, and um, it's, it's not quiet out there. It's, it's just not. It's, I mean, people think that a forest is quiet at night. And if there is the slightest breeze, it's loud. And there are animals out there. And it is. Um, and like the way that Stephen King wrote, I'm not going to spoil the ending, but the, he's writing a character walking through a forest. And there's something in the forest with him. And it's just. Ugh, like it's just so. It's, and it, it, and the, he did it in such a brilliant way where the, throughout the entire book, there's this deadfall. And he's been warned about it. And a deadfall. If you're listening, if you don't know what a deadfall is, it's basically when a bunch of dead trees are all. It's like a. It's like what like a like a a metal band name looks like. You know, (laughs) Um, it's just like this tangle of dead trees, and he he walks over it, and right when he walks over it, it's just the book takes this crazy turn, and he's just specific enough, but he's also just vague enough that there's just like this presence around him, and yeah, so that was probably. one of the scariest books I've ever read, but uh, my favorite that I've read recently is *The Fisherman* by John. Oh, Langen. John
1: Lagan, yeah.
0: Oh, that <laughs> book! I did not shut up about that book on TikTok for weeks. I love
1: the mix of I love the mix of kind of it's one of those things where if you adapted that, if you adapted that like faithfully, yeah. would it be scary? Probably mm. not, because it's the idea of like voice and absurdism and things that are like beyond literalization beyond visualization in a certain way like i i don't know to me uh, i read that it's been a long while i actually not to be like mm, i blurbed it but i was actually asked to blurb that book so R- ross lockhart the editor of that had, had asked me to blurb and i was like this is so weird why are you asking me to blurb the john langan <laughs> book um but uh it, like i said like it, to, there's certain things in that, in that in that book that might just seem that wouldn't work visually i know that or, or maybe you'd need to be a real good director to make it a good yeah i mean i think uh, it would
0: work visually to the extent that it would be really cool to look at um but i don't know if you would it
1: be frightening you know like no yeah yeah,
0: yeah. i mean because you have to have spent so much time with that character to understand like what exactly is so like not it's not it's not like a like a fucked up kind of scary it's like a it's like an existential like reality shattering scary yeah which yeah. i mean that's that's cosmic horror in of the <laughs> true
1: sense like cosmic horror yeah. like taking it beyond like the like the love and like oh it's too scary i couldn't describe it to you like it's <laughs> it, like it's it's like taking that idea like a, a little further like where i'm going to describe it but it, it's going to be contextual to this very intimate story you know like um, yeah it's personal yeah. it's personal and it's, it's kind of about storytelling like, I like the, mm-hmm. like, you know, the fisherman story, like, like you know, it was, you wouldn't believe the catch. It was this, like, it, it takes that idea of like, it's a good, good title too, because it's, you know, it, it's form and function. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. I get uh, messages like fairly often um, where people, you know, people message me and they're like, Hey, uh, you recommended this. And I read it and I liked it. Thank you for the recommendation. Um, and I love those messages, send them my way. But um, the one that I've gotten the most messages for is the fisherman. I've gotten like dozens of people have said i didn't even know about this because it's not i mean i didn't i had to like dig through the the whole like horror lit subreddit yeah. to find it but i did see it's it on a, the yeah. shelf on powell's and i don't think it was my fault but i think i helped like yeah good yeah good good good
1: <laughs> good 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 yeah now i'm trying to think i'm trying to think of other scary things i talk about it i talk about this book fairly often because it's like um just fresh in my mind I, I i have such a i have such a recency bias bias i have yeah, like such, totally. a, I have such a bias towards like things i've read in the last few years um but i loved uh rachel harrison's the return did you read that one i can't remember no. if you did like a tiktok or anything about it you'll no, like that one but i'll be listing yeah,
0: all the books we talk yeah, about yeah you'll, you'll
1: you'll like that one it's a it's a it's like interior and exterior horror it's a a a, 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 a woman goes missing or like I forget the the amount of time but it's like 2 years and like she's like just literally vanishes and then she comes back and like the her friends it's like kind of a book about like the intricacies and like oddities of like female friendships and like lifelong female friendships and basically re- trying to like oh let's 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 you know she she's just come back like let's try to like suss out what's di- what's wrong with her and like go to this um hotel and it unravels from there but it's a it's a um it's got some real creepy stuff in it it's some real uncanny stuff speaking of like the f- the fisherman and that idea It's called The Return. It's called The Return. It's by and Rachel it's- Harrison. Yeah. It was <laughs> it's it's good and her 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 book after that is completely different. Her book after that's called Cackle and it's like a kind of like a Witches of Eastwood kind of thing, which is great, but it's just so like it's I like a writer that can just do like have two books back to back that are just like the most different things.
0: Is there anything in horror movies or novels that you don't like? that you you know you see it and you think i wish people Mm. would stop doing this or you can put your cynical pants on for this one like
1: that's funny i don't have sin i i my cynical pants are like are are only happen. that's so funny because it's it's funny that you ask that because it's it's such a thing especially with like the especially where we're where we're kind of spending a lot of time in like book talk and stuff like that and people even say it in a in a in a good way where people talk about tropes and people talk about like people almost make suggestions based on tropes like if you like if you like this trope, yeah. um, you know, X. And I don't, the, here's the thing I'm cynical about. And it's not about books. It's about the way we talk about books where I, I trope has like this fluid um, kind of sometimes positive, sometimes negative, sometimes neutral connotation. Uh, I feel like in, yeah. in, in our space and in the spaces we inhabit. inhabit. Um, and it just tr- drives me nuts to reduce books to that. If it makes sense, yeah. um, because I, like it's the idea that like you set me up to like ask a question of like of like, oh, like what things in horror do you not like? What things in horror movies? Let's talk about like the like one of the one of the most obvious ones, like the this the mirror scare, the bathroom mirror scare. where you just you just move <laughs> the bathroom mirror a little bit and oh, shit, there's been something standing in the corner the whole time. Um, you can say like no bathroom mirror scares or you can say like no, no mor- a moratorium on that trope. But then you, like, then you think back in films and you're, like, oh, well, like, Candyman has, like, one of the best bathroom mirror scares of all time because it's slightly different and it's a, like, it's, it's, you open the bathroom mirror onto a different world and onto this, like, like, and it's one of the most creepy sequences in a horror movie I can think of. But it's, like, if you, if you, if you put some kind of moratorium down on, like, oh, avoid these tropes or avoid these, uh, you know, I wouldn't be able to write a book if, if, if people were, like, avoid these tropes because I think, part of the joy to me of writing is taking everything I've read and everything I've seen and thinking that I am, you know, everyone's a unique person. Everyone's a, you know, everyone's, a, everyone's, everyone's got a book in them and everyone's, a, you know, whatever, you whatever, whatever can do it stuff you're supposed to say, but like, yes, every, but the truth of the matter is everyone's unique and everyone has a, a, a difference, different biases and different perspectives. And to me, what is interesting about all of fiction and all of cinema is perspective and uh, the perspectives of the of the people or people who are producing that art to me i'm, I'm so i don't care if something indulges in quote-unquote tropes or if something uses uh, story mechanisms or um, things i've seen before of course you don't want them to be used lazily of course you don't want them to be used without thought but otherwise but if they're used lazily and they're used without thought that's just bad writing you don't have to be like Oh, I don't like the like girl moves to a small town trope. You know, what I mean? like it's like, no, there's probably plenty of things that you like that use the like girl moves to a small town trope. It's, it's the idea that writing's not mad libs. You can't just plunk in a whole bunch of stuff, thread it through with some punctuation and be like, there you go, I have a book. Like you have, there has to be intentionality and perspective um, in all good writing, I think, highbrow or lowbrow, whether we're talking about like the most Scooby Doo of horror fiction, which is stuff that i write or like the most highbrow of mind branding of cosmic horror like like the fisherman like langan is very much working in a cosmic horror mold him and Barron, and uh and all these all these different writers that are taking a genre that started years and years ago by a writer that your mileage may vary but I, i'm not a, like i don't even 100 percent love uh, lovecraft Um, but have made something completely new and completely engaging with it. So to me, that's my, that's my cynical pants. The idea that we, we so like to, maybe it's because of social media and maybe it's because of TikTok, but I don't really think so. But like, people will probably point to like, oh, well, it's, it's a short format. You only have so much time to communicate an idea to someone. Yeah. And maybe, and maybe, maybe at that point, those things help. And I'm sure, that you, I'm sure that you've made a million <laughs> videos like this and I'm, I'm making you sound like I'm, I'm not, it doesn't make me angry. I just, oh, no, no. Would, I just wish we would stop thinking about things so simplistically. I wish we would stop thinking about things so black and white. This uses this engages in X trope. This engages in, it's like they're like, storytelling theory has been telling us we only have like five different types of plots for however long. Like, yes, of course, if you reduce something down to its component parts, it's going to feel, uh, it's going to feel um, stale or whatever. If you're, if you're looking to make it look stale, the, to me, the joy of fiction and the joy of cinema, because they talk about them interchangeably is the idea that you will sit and watch something and um, revel in its differences in, in its, in where it zigs when other things zag, not, you know, cause that, that's to me, that's a difference in coming to something arms crossed or coming to something arms open is, the idea that I'm going to uh, this is what I do for a hobby, like to to watch films and to read books. Why would I? Why would my hobby? Why would I want my hobby to give me any kind of cynicism? Like why would I? Why would I not approach everything like I'm going to enjoy this? And of course, I don't enjoy everything. But why wouldn't I approach it that way? Uh, this is such a such a this is such a, this is such a uh, ramble. I've just made i made hell. Uh, I've made your editing session hell, but no, I'll keep does, does all that, of that. Does that yeah. kind of make sense? Yeah uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's my like my cynicism pants are other people's cynicism reductionism. Pants? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, and other people's cynicism pants and other people's reductionism, <laughs> which i don't I don't like, and that's not the way I think it. I, I almost think it's almost kind of like a, a kind of like brain poison if you get in that cynical cycle of thinking about things like so like cut and dry, and it's it's also it also lends to a lot of like. Oh, I, you know, I'm smarter than that, than this product. I, you know, I'm smarter than this thing that I bought, whether it be a DVD, whether it be a, a, a book. And you have to think that like, no, if you're holding up a book, a lot of people, not just an author, a lot of people worked on that book and a lot of people gave their thought into why there's probably a reason why things are the way they are in that book. Even if it's not a good reason, even if it, again, there is, there is bad writing in the world and there is, there are bad books in the world and there are bad films to me it's the you can't go looking for it you can't be like you can't be going into something ready to be like knocking it down
0: well and like not to get mired in the swamp of relativism but um i mean objectively like I, it's so it's so hard as one person to look at something and say that is bad objectively like that that book you 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 did it bad you know like (laughs) i i mean i at least i i struggle with that um i i I, I
1: completely agree and and i probably am i would probably even like caveat my own thing saying there is bad writing x y and z but it's like it's all relative to you know all relative to whatever my messed up conception of what bad or good writing is you know because it's all with feeding into all my different biases and things that i like and things that i've read and things that i enjoy
0: which you're absolutely allowed to have. I mean, like, yeah, I kind of yeah. I, I agree with you in the sense that um, I think a lot of like like sound clip advice gets thrown around, where it's like, you know, with fantasy books, um, which is like my main genre um, that I write and read, is like you see a lot of people say, "Don't, don't you dare, don't, don't ever info dump, never yeah. info dump," and it's like, dude, I can think of like four books that do that constantly that are really good books. Yeah, I think it depends Tolkien on does that. Yeah, like load. oh my god. <laughs> like um like the very first the very first paragraph of Lies of Locke Lamora, which is in my opinion one of the best fantasy books, like at least recently, um info dumps. It's, it's there's like eight different terms yeah. that you've never yeah. heard of before. Or, or, um even like uh, Samantha Shannon's uh, Prior to of the Orange Tree, there's quite a few info dumps in there cuz she's trying to get a lot of information to you. Um, Yeah. Efficiently.
1: And, and, and and she's a good writer. So she's trying to to, like, like it's like these, these rules are these rules and dictums are only rules and dictums to kind of get you started or to maybe even get you thinking about this stuff. Cause I don't, I think there is, I think there is good kind of fortune cookie writing advice out there. I really do think there is. And I think some of that stuff helps, but it really, none of this stuff should ever be a hard and fast rule. And it really should just be to get you thinking about your own possible worst um, habits and your own possible worst crutches, um, which I'm all for. Like, it's like, I love getting, I love getting, <laughs> uh, constructive criticism. I, like I love people or editors or whoever pointing things out and make me go, huh. And like right. have to be like, yeah, you're right on that one. And then, and then making it better. Like I love that kind of thing, but I think that's, that's what that advice is good for. Is, is, is a gentle guidelines never hard and fast rules
0: yeah, yeah like maybe if you're drafting a, a, a big fat fantasy series um remember people need to talk to each other you know it's like yeah. not don't info dump but let characters be involved in in what you're doing you know if you write an entire like if you write a hundred pages that you know the cataloging the history of this whole city and yeah that's a synopsis uh, that's not enough yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. i mean you're writing something cool and it it could very well be interesting but um you're you're you've i mean characters are so important so don't forget those you know like yeah that's a that's an awesome answer i'm not editing any of that you're great (laughs) in regards to writing specifically what is your process like i mean you've been doing it for a, a while um do you have like a set writing schedule that you try to keep to do you have hours in the day that are better than others like what's that all about
1: i mine's a little unique because i talk to people all the time they talk about they talk about like their early risers or like i i do get up early and um like life makes me wake up early but i don't to me a good writing day or an ideal writing day is a long day it's like i have a big chunk of time and i i used to do this more um pre-pandemic but going to like a library or something like that or 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 a coffee shop somewhere where i feel like there are other people around and it's just like i i feel like the more the need to have like proper posture and sit like sit up correctly so i can't just be a cretin in my own office and just like (laughs) like like, put my legs up and exactly just like just completely like i feel like there's almost there's a there, there the social contract keeps me (laughs) <laughs> other writing more. like i have pants on <laughs> uh there's other people in around like so i think like the almost like we talked about self-consciousness but my self-consciousness makes me a better writer when i'm in those spaces
0: <laughs> never and, heard and, that answer before. and
1: i this <laughs> is you've never had someone this neurotic on your podcast before um <laughs> but uh the and then the idea of like of a long day i love i love being able to sit down for a long time because i feel like i get at a certain point, I burn out, but I feel like yeah. I, I gain momentum. A lot of people, and I've I've heard like I've heard a ton. Of, I was I was just at a convention and I was talking to um, I think it was even I think it was V Castro said um, um, that she she writes in the morning or, or something like that or like the like or only like the first few hours a day are, like good or something like that. I, I don't want to put words in v, V's mouth because maybe she didn't even say that. But um, but the uh, like I, I have the opposite where like I need to gain steam and be in a manuscript for a while before I really feel like I'm in the fl- like you get flow. Mm-hmm. I know that's a, that's another buzzword, but it, I think that's true. It's for a me. thing. Uh, it really is. It really is true for me. Like I, I get better as I go. So like my, my worst writing days are like days where I have to start and stop and days where like life dictates that I start, start and stop, um, which is getting harder, uh, becoming a new dad because I want to be a good dad. Um, but, um, uh, it, it, the idea of, of a long, that's my ideal day. Cause like my best stuff happens like right at the end, or I'm like, I'm going to have to stop at five or I'm going to have to stop at six. Like, or like the, you know, they're, they're, the baristas are looking at me. They want me to leave like <laughs> that. like something. that Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm always buying. Like i that's another thing that that's another writing. It's another writing cliche that I somehow fall into that I like, don't. I like never broadcast the idea of like, I need my cup of coffee. Like the, you know, it's it's <laughs> like such a meme. It's like the, if you like if you look at the amount of like writers and coffee memes, but like there is truth to it. Like I I drink a hell of a lot of coffee. So like yeah. they don't have to worry about me buying stuff. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Do you find that, um, you know, cause every, every writer has like their limit for the day where you start to feel like, like, yeah, you can keep pounding away at it, but you're just, you're kind of, you're, you're not doing it it's um, do you feel like you can do you feel like there's any kind of benefit to pushing past that? Is that kind of like a, a, if a, if I, a limit that you're putting on yourself? If or? I find
1: myself reaching that with new material, I, I like to I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a very um might go along with procrastination, but I, I, I like re, I like rewriting and redrafting. Mm-hmm. things I've already written within the manuscript um before I'm going forward so like if I feel myself getting too punchy or feel myself being like I'm too tired or I can't and I have like more kind of hours in the day to you know more daylight time to write I'll go back um and read 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 bits over N- usually not what I wrote that day I find I find I need distance on what I wrote that day but it's like you start seeing faults and you start seeing problems on like yesterdays or the day before or whatever so like it's just that's problem Process-wise, I find that's helpful to me. Like the, it's all coming out crap. Don't or like or I'm or I'm pushing and I can't get any more toothpaste out of the tube. Don't you know? Don't just stop. I just reread and it, I find that.
0: Yeah, you're helps. you're still in the process, but you're not necessarily. You're still like,
1: editing. It's it's still yeah. it's still helpful and it's still you know yeah. Um,
0: yeah, I mean I've I've found that in in my own work that I've been doing, it's like I, I kind of get to a point where it's like after about like like two uh, two or three hours um, where like I'm still doing it, but it's just the uh, you know that feeling you get when when you you're excited for the next paragraph because it's because it's happening. It's oh, like yeah. you're you're kind of you're yeah. you're a little you're yeah, lagging a little it, bit. Yeah, 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 like you're lagging a little <laughs> yeah. bit behind what's going on, and you're excited to get to that point. And I can kind of feel myself sometimes like thinking more that I'm typing, um, which is still good. But then once I get to a point where I'm I'm just. <laughs> I've got everybody kind of like frozen in place. Almost it feels like like the characters are kind of standing around waiting for me to do something cool, um, and that is when I know like all right, I think it's time to call it. Sorry.
1: Yeah, yeah. But you're 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 writing fantasy fiction, correct?
0: Yeah, yeah. So this yeah. is
1: this is this is one of those things where like I think we talk about writing, capital W writing, and we talk about writing advice, and it we all it's almost so few craft books and so few, few craft conversations are genre specific because i think that i and 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 maybe there's there's you know uh, horror and horror and romance are almost um are almost related in that way where they're mm-hmm. probably actually closer to writing the same but they're both incredibly different from, from fantasy in in my mind mm-hmm. uh, at least structurally so it so i i imagine writing them is very different um and 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 you would, would require different approaches where that makes almost more sense as a process than what I'm doing if that makes sense like sure. it, 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 like the, it, there's different demands there's different genre demands and there's different um just because of epic fantasy being the 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 e word in there um it's just <laughs> but it it requires you to it requires you to spend more hours in a seat and it's just, it then yeah. requires you to put more words on a page, um, just through dent of what it is. Um, so it's, it's different. You know what I mean? Like it's like, it, our, our processes make sense for what we're writing.
0: Well, and like, um, one of the really cool things about uh, clown in a cornfield and clown in a cornfield too, that, that I don't know, I wanted to ask, like, I don't know if this made it easier or harder for you, but, um, I mean I I know that writing in an alternate world is it can be difficult because you're kind of like all right so like colloquially like what what are we allowed mm-hmm. to use here I mean like mm. I can't say like you know she was gunning for first place or something because there's no guns like you can't yes. do that you know it's like but
1: <laughs> That would drive me nuts like, about fantasy. <laughs> it's, it's really yeah I mean
0: it's it's frustrating like going back to something you've written and just feeling like no like there's not you can't use that word but i mean uh, you're writing something that's set it's not even just like modern like the modern day like this could happen today like there's cell phones there's instagram you even mentioned tiktok in this new book um like did that make it easier for you to kind of like let the story unfold and you don't have to worry so much it about does. like all of that yeah it's
1: weird because it does and, and i and i'm kind of cognizant of it because like and i've it's this with earlier books i i wrote a book called the first one you expect which is about um which is about a, a no budget horror filmmaker who like ma- basically makes movies with his buddy in his backyard. And he's just like a sleaze. He's just a bad guy. Um, in that book, there were like a lot of kind of references to like real world things. I was like, let me try to like, this guy is kind of not, <laughs> not if you're, not if you're listening and not if you're upset, he's kind of based on real people. Like, so like, uh, I wanted to be like in that milieu, in that world, let me get d- dive as deep into it as I could. So like mentioned Kickstarter, and all these different things, all the different ways someone might make a film, um, and uh, being set on Long Island, all the, p- the places he would really go, the places he would really like, the the Twitter he would use, and things like that. And I remember this is why you shouldn't read reviews of your work. But I remember I remember like <laughs> a review of it being like, "This is a pretty good book, but it's going to be so out of date in like two years." So the the person who read who who wrote that review is listening. Oh. You got me. You got in my you got in my brain. And but I don't. But thinking about it. I still sell first review expected conventions the books like um, six or seven years old. Uh, like it's not outdated at all. It's, it's realistic for the milieu of that character and the time that that book takes place. Books not books takes place in 2010. It's not supposed to take place in 2022. It's not supposed like, to me, as long as it's, as long as it's something that people will understand through context. Um, and that again, goes back to that idea of like good writing. Like, are you communicating this idea effectively? I don't see any, like I'm, no one's asked me this yet, but Clown, the Clown in the Cornfield books are, like you said, incredibly present day and, and take place um, for a lot of reasons, um, socially, politically, um, techno- technologically, like take place in the time that they are set. Um, no, no one's really asked me this yet, but I know that people are thinking of like, are these books going to be kind of like, are they going to be out of date or are they going to be out of touch or are kids going to be able to... Still, kids and teens, I use the term interchangeably, and they're both terms of respect. But, uh, um, like, are they going to be able to kind of relate to it? And it's like, no, I think the, I would hope that the emotions and the um, and the themes and everything that happens in plot is all transcends contextuality. Like, um, even though it's a very specific context, I would imagine, I would hope, that You could read these books in 10 years and you would still enjoy them. Um, but that's the I don't even remember the question, man.
0: <laughs> no, that's okay. Uh, I, I remember, it. I got you. I'll feed you, baby birds. Uh, well, like, um, and, and, and another really cool thing about it is that, uh, I, and a reason that I think you don't need to worry about it at all is that, uh, you're not the first person to write a work of fiction in there that reflects their own modern day. Uh, yeah. I'm pretty sure everybody has done that and i mean it's if you read if you read a book that was written in the 50s using you know everything that was modern to them in the 50s now you've got a, a time capsule like you exactly you're re- i love yeah, that yeah, yeah. so the if you're playing the long I, game you no. know
1: <laughs> exactly it's the same reason i watch films in yeah, a way one yeah. of those we talked about like i wrote you know i have different reasons for why i watch films than different audience members like a lot of the re- reasons that I'm kind of stuck in the 60s and 70s with the things that I watch and, and consume is because I like the time capsule element of it. And yeah. I like the regionality. I, like w- the regions of America used to be incredibly different. Not everything used to be, everything's a, a, a franchise strip mall, like, and the same 12 restaurants. Like it, there used to be incredible differences to places and, and, and people um, and, and we're all within the same country. And I love seeing that. It reflected in fiction and film so yeah that's my it's just funny like it's it's that 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 review kind of haunts me because I'm like oh, you should have no nope. I feel like you should have bumped your review up but like because I disagree with you but it's like that's such an odd um complaint to me because I'm like no that's a feature not a bug Like that's right, what I yeah. want that's what I as I, I would like to create something that ages like these things like these things I'm consuming and like these things I'm enjoying um yeah
0: I mean, uh, that's that's like one of the main reasons that I love um, like 80s and early, like early 90s, like Stephen King, you know, oh, it's yeah. like you have someone like smoking a cigarette in a in a bar or a restaurant or Listening something it's to like, oh, Eve on. Cool. yeah exactly right, yeah like, yeah, it's yeah. Like, yeah oh, cool. like it's a very
1: it's very contextual yeah, mm-hmm. yeah
0: and it adds to i mean you know we don't uh we don't know really but like maybe in 30 years someone's gonna read clown in a cornfield and be like wow like these kids and their their cell phones and instagram in the midwest like that's a vibe that's a thing that'll age gracefully Um, just like everything else in fiction. Oh yeah. yeah, I mean, we we might (laughs) not even be here. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. (laughs) (laughs) No, they're taking it out of print the second they, the second they read what's in clown two, they're going to be like, nope. (laughs) Nope.
0: (laughs) Um, speaking of clown two, um, and the first one too, um, there are a few kind of like jaw dropping moments in both of these books, like twists that I didn't see coming, um, like reveals that I, I really didn't see coming um do you find those things along the way while you're writing or before you even start drafting is that outlined um, are you working toward that reveal or does it kind of just manifest 50/50
1: um i yeah. think i i think there's i think there's there's reveals in both books that certain things um character stuff with like say like Cole and, and Rust was mm-hmm. like i always knew from the beginning writing too um, and then there's like, there's plot stuff and then, and then there's set piece stuff, which I think is, is different than plot stuff in a way, because especially when you're talking about a slasher, the idea of like, let's build a a set piece, let's build action that is, that you can, that is novel and that you can follow and that you, is, is, is enjoyable to, for the like kind of aesthetic and sensory ways that people read this kind of fiction. Um, so I think like those kinds of things, about half of them I find in the, in the, in the in the draft. Um, there's always an outline. I always have to start with an outline with the, like books like these. Um, mm-hmm. And then I, I I I use the outline more as a suggestion than a uh, hard and fast rule because it's like, well, if I came up with something better, or if I, if, right. if there's something more interesting to do with this character, um, or is there's something more interesting to tell about this character and maybe tell later and move it towards? Um, I'm thinking in specifically in two. There's there's a there's a character that is, um, well, uh, let's not spoil it. But in two, there's in two, there's, a, <laughs> know, a, in, two, there's a, in two, there's a character that um, I think in the outline that wasn't that way, um, and then in uh, in in the draft from literally I think the first chapter that that character is introduced, I was like, oh, I know exactly. What yeah <laughs> and i love that like i like that feeling of like of of discovery of being like i'm gonna get you like uh, and i hope that it and i hope that it lands because like i've to- i've only you're one of the few people i've talked to that's that's read the book and it's like you said with like oh you don't really know if something's gonna be scary or not you don't really know if something's gonna be surprising or not too because people could be like i picked up on the clues and i clocked that immediately which plenty of people will tell you um if you talk to them but like the most gratifying thing is being like oh because I'm not a big, tw- I'm like, I'm, I'm so much of a, when I, when I enjoy things and when I uh, kind of think about the pleasures of writing, it's all in like details and all in sensory moments and all in little character bits. And just, it's all in the smaller stuff. And I'm less about the big architecture of the plot. Um, but mm-hmm. I, 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 I challenge myself and I like, I try to incorporate big plot stuff into these books and, and especially with a sequel, especially into, to feel like, that works is incredibly gratifying because it's you once you know what the once you give up the ghost of what the motivation is in the first clown book you can't really you can't you can't put the genie back in that bottle you can't do it again like so it's like what are you with two is the 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 the, the twists are more interpersonal and they're more um there's some stuff that that involves the wider world but a lot of it's how do you do this and how do you get people again like how do you do the like the make it the the rest of development the lucille bluth joke with like gene parmesan like he got me again <laughs> like how do you do that like how Jean! do you like gene exactly yeah like how do you like how do you <laughs> the people that don't get that reference are like what the hell are these two guys talking oh, about come but, on.
0: You gotta get that uh, yeah yeah
1: but they, like the uh, to do the gene parmesan is like is is the most satisfying thing in the world
0: <laughs> speaking of writing and i ask this question to every author it's kind of a it's kind of a hackneyed question I suppose, but I think it's a really good one. And it's do you have any adri- advice for writers? Uh first uh like general advice for people writing whatever or and uh second any advice pertaining specifically to people trying to write scary stories or
1: mm, Okay, so we'll go with the first one. Um yeah. I'm just going to I'm just going to assume and again there's all different ways to write and there's all different paths to writing and there's all different what I an idea of what quote unquote writing success looks like to you whether it's monetary whether it's readership whether it's um uh so I think that take that with a grain of salt so because I'm going to answer for myself um for myself I am a um I'm a commercial writer I am someone who 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 who, trying to write for a living um I think the if you are trying to go down that path and if you are trying to um be someone who creates commercial fiction um it's still your art that's still fine but you're trying to sell it um the the earliest thing i would do is um get a get social media that's your name and get social media that that people can associate with you um and it's your face up there and don't and 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 don't shy away from that like just start now because you think oh i've still got to write the book why would i promote the book it's like you're not promoting the book you're just talking in a space uh, about things that you love, because ideally, um, if you're not, if you're not reading in your genre, or if you're not, uh, if you're not reading, you're trying to write, um, maybe consider something else. Um, because if you want to talk about books and if you want to talk about, if you're trying to be a screenwriter, if you're trying to write, uh, if you're trying to make movies, if you want to talk about films, this, this, this this advice is, 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 is catch all, Um, make it easy for people to find you and make it easy to people for people to find the stuff that you make. Um, don't wait for the, For the book contract to come in because then you have half a year to build a a year to half a year to build a um connections with people and build and and to tell people why they should care about the thing that you're going to try to sell them uh, quite honestly um so that that would be my it's a a kind of like a quote-unquote rookie mistake i see all the time people trying to do this way too late in the game and people who we like to think that um publishers have all this power they are big publicly traded companies, they do have a lot of money. But to them, you are even unless you are Stephen King, unless you are J.K. Rowling, you are the tiniest little cog in their machine. You are the tiniest little rounding error on their quarterly spreadsheet. <laughs> you error. really are. Yeah, like, I, yeah, I don't wow, mean to yeah. make it sound so bad. Um, and it doesn't mean that you're editors and it doesn't mean that your PR department, it doesn't mean they don't like you. And it doesn't mean they don't want to support your book and see it succeed. But just know that that's the reality of the situation. No one is going to be a better advocate for your work than you. So you need to start um, fi- making it easy for people to find that advocacy. Awesome. That's that's that's, that's that one. Um, and horror horror is such a horror is, a, is such an old genre. It's like one of the oldest genres. Um, what I would say is so many so many people kind of do it right in the sense that they read they read to genre and they but they read what's current, um, and you can get so caught in a like kind of trend bubble or you can caught, get, get caught tracing trends that are two years old or three years old. Um, and then your book's kind of stale and then one wants to buy your book by the time it comes out or or whatever. And like I mean, people as in like agents and editors and stuff like that. Good fiction's good fiction. It'll, it has no shelf life. Um, but so many people read all what's current. You see people's TBRs and it's just what came out at Barnes and Noble that week. Um, like for horror, especially for any kind of genre writing, I think it really applies. Read, um, backwards, read in your genre, um, Read outside your genre because it enriches you too. But if you're gonna do your genre reading, um, do your homework and read older stuff. Read things that were published before you were born. Read things that publish, were published before you were reading books. Um, it's very important, I think, to get a kind of more um, a wider angle uh, scope, like a, a kind of like you know zoom out a little bit and see that you are a writer working in a continuum, working in a very proud tradition in a lot of in a lot of senses. Um, see what other writers have done. Uh, you don't have to like everything that you read, but kind of place that in the context that we're in now and uh, go for it. That's, that's that's what I would say. Read widely in your genre, not just currently in your genre.
0: So we'll probably wrap up here in a second, but I do want to. This this question has been kind of nagging at me this okay. whole this whole interview. Okay, almost. Uh, I wanted to talk to you about I, and ask you, what is your involvement? with the dark crystal.
1: Oh, uh, just as a fan, I, 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 um, I've written, I've written two dark crystal. Um, I've written a comic, uh, four issues of, a, um, of, uh, comic that was based on a story by the guys that wrote the, uh, the age of resistance television show. And then I wrote, um, a, the dark crystal bestiary, which is a, um, Kind of in-universe book that covers all the different creatures in the dark crystal universe uh, not only the original film not only the tv show but all the italian stuff too um, I, I was writing um this is kind of a boring story but i was writing um it's a boring the podcast the occasional the occasional no 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 it's a beautiful podcast we've been <laughs> nothing but engaging i think everyone's <laughs> hit just smash the subscribe button 10 times um <laughs> I love comics. I'm, I'm a, I'm an enormous comics fan, which I know you are as well. Um, Cause you're going through berserk and stuff. Oh buddy. And then you call, you call, you call manga comics and then you get 15, 15, 15 year olds telling you that yeah, you're wrong. People, people like, get
0: very mad at man,
1: me. I mean, I've been reading comics since before you were born. So calm down. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so <laughs> uh, leave that in. I want the hate mail. <laughs> I've been reading comics like my whole life. It's a, it's a big part of, um who i who i am as a person who i am as a reader my uh, father was a huge comic book fan he would take me down to in the 90s which was a huge time for comics um, totally good and bad um but like he would bring me down to the local comic book shop the good thing about it was there was a comic book shop on 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 every main street in america um and so i've loved comics for a long time and i got the opportunity to write a um a backup story a little tiny um script for uh an adventure time tie-in comic because an editor at boom had reached out to me because they were trying to do um they were trying to do horror writers uh yeah it was like so he got like Alyssa wong he got grady hendrix and he somehow chanced on me i think he had read uh, one of my um one of my books i think he'd read zero lives remaining so it was just like oh it's a halloween special for adventure time so we're trying to get horror writers to write little halloween theme stories um so i got to do that and I, i i love animation and um so i was very happy to do a little adventure time thing. And then I, because I'm, because I'm a, I'm a constant self promoter and kind of a pain in the ass. I kept being like, Hey man, you, <laughs> Hey man, you got any more work? Hey man, Hey man, you got any more work? Like, like I kept asking this, this editor, like being in his inbox and I'd gotten to do, um, I got to do another, another short, um, with the power Rangers. So I got to do a, um, I got to kill alpha, which was awesome. Uh, I I get to I get to do this like alternate universe story where they like, crush Alpha Six's head. Like I was like, this is awesome that I get to do a Power Ranger story, but I get to put like a trauma esque head crushing in it. Um, and then I had had his email, and I um, when the new Dark Crystal TV show was announced, I like immediately like before I knew they were even doing tie in comics. I'm such a huge Dark Crystal fan um, of the of the film, and I think the show is great, but mainly of the film. Like it's it's be my top. I'm a very big movie guy, but that would be easily be in like my top five movies of all time. Yeah, I just, same. I yeah. think it's a stoner fantasy classic. I think it is like, I think it is like, if you think of like bands like high on fire and, and sludge, sludge, uh, metal and stuff like that, like that is that in movie form. I love that movie. So like it immediately when the, when the Netflix show was announced, I was like, they've done dark crystal comics in the past, boom, and they're going to do them again. So I was just like, Hey man, if you're doing any more dark crystal comics, <laughs> you know who to call. I'm like, I'm your guy. Like, so I, I unbelievably that worked. Um, I was just insistent enough and enough of a pain in the ass that um, that I got to do uh, four issues on um, on the Dark Crystal thing. And it was m- from my favorite new character from the show, Hup. Um, and I got to. Oh, yeah. Hup is latest. great. Yeah. So it's like all it's all about Hup. It's kind of like about Hup meets this kind of um, trickster gelfling kind of like this sham artist. And I love like con men stories. So it's like it's basically like matchstick men or like, Ah, uh, Paper Moon. What I I, I pitched it to them, I'm like, this could be Paper Moon in Dark Crystal. Like, they're like, <laughs> okay, like, cool. Uh, so, like, I so I got to do that, and the the I can't. I don't exactly know the way that it happened with the Beast Fury. So that was I did the comic, and then I think they were. I think Henson, as far as like when you work on IP and when you work on like license stuff, the licensor has to like sign off on everything. So they were familiar with me, and they were familiar with like my enthusiasm with it. Um, and then the showrunners, because it was based on their story. Um, I think they were really happy with it, and I think, and I think the editors were happy with it. So I think some some conflict flux of those three people when it, when the when names were bandied about to who was going to write this thing. Um, it's it's illustrated by Iris Compete. It's all beautiful watercolor illustrations. She was handpicked by Brian Froud. I was not handpicked by Brian Froud. He was <laughs> handpicked by Brian Froud. She's kind of his protege, and she's just in, this incredible fantasy artist. Um, and she did so much more work for that book than. She probably had to, honestly, um, but uh, I, my name was in contention and it was not even like, it was like not good timing. It was not like, you can't really talk about it. It was not the greatest of like pay day, but I was like, <laughs> I'm going to do this. I'm going to yeah. write a dark crystal book no matter what. Like So yeah. I, just, I just, um, was very happy to do that. And it's clearly very different than my other work um because it almost reads like wikipedia entries but i was like no i'm gonna add i'm gonna add a little right no ooh, it's into you know, this yeah. and i and i understand and i understand the world so well and i understand the tone so well then let me try to um let me try to like zhuzh this up a little bit because these people are 90 of pe- people who own the dark crystal Jerry have like probably never read a word of my of my writing because they're they're buying it to look at the beautiful illustrations iris's beautiful illustrations but my writing's there if you wanted to <laughs> use it for more than a coffee table book
0: <laughs> yep what did you think about the new show
1: I liked it a lot. Um, yeah. I, it, it's a real bummer. It, it's a, it's it's such a people talk about Netflix all the time and how kind of yeah. cancel happy they are. But if you look at like the production, like how are you going to do that during COVID? Like there, totally. it, it takes like six people laying on top of each other to do like one skeksy, like yeah. with his hand out. Like it's it, it you can't. It must have been so expensive. I, I like I'm I'm sad it's canceled, but I love what we got kind of thing. I yeah. think um, Louis Leter um, his him directing all those episodes was like just one of the most like baller directorial (laughs) moves I've ever seen. It's like, this guy's made good movies before, but this is like doing this. It must've been insane. There's a little, if you haven't watched it, there's a, there's like an hour documentary alongside. It's like a separate listing on, on, on Netflix, but there's a, there's a documentary about making that show. That's just as interesting as the show itself, maybe even more so. Um, So I think it's like uh, the idea of turning dark crystal into something with dense dark crystal, this thing that was like Brian Froud and Jim Henson wanting to talk about like esoteric ideas like you know like, like sacred geometry and all this stuff and all these real hippie ideas that film which is so impressionistic and, and and didn't even originally have like dialogue for some of the characters that they like added in post doing that as like the most hard-nosed world-building literalization of like no this is what they are trying to do that as game of thrones i thought was like this i'll be completely honest and the show's canceled and, and i'm gonna say something nice about it so they don't care but uh uh <laughs> I thought that was the dumbest idea I'd ever heard. Like the idea of like, until I saw it, I, 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 yeah. I thought that I, I was like, that's not going to. And again, that's that, that, idea of like coming to things with open arms instead of crossed arms. I'm totally. such a fan of the dark crystal that I was like, like that doesn't don't seem hurt my baby. It should work. Like, yeah. It doesn't seem yeah. like it should work. And it doesn't seem like this is the, the, the movie to do that with, but you watch that and it's so well done. And it's such a um, dense, lavish, production and 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 super well written i thought like i just thought like everything about it especially because it's a prequel some prequels don't do it for me i'm like well i know how this story turns out the way that they told it i was like i thought it was genius really i i i thought it was great um but sadly not not continuing but i'm happy for what we got did you did you enjoy it
0: (laughs) oh my god yeah i really did i mean i was uh not not put off initially but definitely surprised at the density and like surprised at the kind of slow approach that they took. But I mean It, it might it, have been it, their
1: downfall, but I think it was the way to go. You I know, mean like, for, yeah, for yeah.
0: fans of the Dark Crystal, it was perfect because yeah. like I mean, um we all wanted more. You know, yeah. so it's like they're starting to get really into the lore of everything, the different kingdoms of, of Gelflings and things like that. And um I mean as I was watching it and as I kind of rounded out and finished it, I just remember thinking this was so much more than what we thought we were going to get as like huge dark crystal fans and they didn't have to do it. They could have put out like two long episodes of of digitized uh, Skeksis and we would have been annoyed at the craft of it, but still happy with what we got, but no, they went all the way. And so, yeah, I I really agree with you that, you know, even though it was canceled, um, what we did get was so worth.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. And talk about like, you know, especially like the the Netflix idea of like a Netflix movie or a Netflix production is is constantly like you think of like craft wise constantly kind of compromised. It's like, well, this is this is a machine and we're churning this stuff out and for better or worse. But you look at that and it's like, wow, they like this punched so high above its weight class and so high above what I thought it would end up being. Um, Yeah, just delighted by it.
0: Um, so being a movie buff yourself, a film buff, a TV buff, um, do you, I mean obviously you would be interested, but do you think that "Clown in a Cornfield" and its sequel, like, do you think that that would translate well to film? And if it did, would you want to be really at the helm, or would you trust somebody else with that work?
1: Well, it's um, it's already kind of happening, uh, hey. and and I'm not I'm I'm not at the helm, and I I kind of like that idea of like not like I am a screenwriter, if actually this is a little exclusive for you. Yeah, I have, I'm, I'm, a twice produced screenwriter. Now I've, I've, I even visited the set of one of the films and these are, these are small movies with smaller budget than I'm sure, um, clowning the cornfield will end up being, but, uh, that was my kind of original, um, as far as formal training writing, I was, I was, uh, I was a screenwriting student, um, uh, in school. So like, I, I love that format and I love film. Um, but I, I think they would make, I think they would make hopefully quote unquote Knockwood will make good movies because then I will get paid. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah. I, I think I, I love the idea of them being like, well, if these are, if these are my, if this is my slasher um, and this is my slasher kind of character in my slasher town. And, and I would like to just keep the, not have to compromise so many, so much of making a movie, is collaborative and and is, and is, and is meeting people halfway. And it's, it's not just between the writer and the director, it's between the writer and like the lighting guy. It's between the, it's between the writer and the producer and it's between the director and the producer. And it's, it's through all these different things. Making a movie is so much different than writing a book that um, I like the idea of someone else wrote the script. I've read it. It's very good. Um, I I like the idea of them just being like kind of go with God. Like, of course I'm going to offer, uh opinions if they ask me and who knows they, yeah. the The writers the last person i get asked his opinion but the the people who are doing it are very gracious and i get along with them very well um so like uh and who knows this is one of those things it's like it's hollywood it, it, yeah. i don't believe a movie get, is getting made until i've seen it like i, I literally <laughs> yeah. like li- with all this with all this bad girl stuff and this all this wb stuff and news you can really right. say that you can re- you can really say like oh this movie got produced it didn't get it's not it's like it's not a product you can go watch though. Like, so like, I literally don't believe a movie's real until I've seen it. It's the idea of like, (laughs) like I need to, I need to see it to know it's real. So like doubly so for stuff that I'm involved with. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think, uh, I'm very interested to see what kind of movies movie or movies they become. Um, yeah.
0: So am I, that's really exciting. But I, but my director's cut is the book.
1: You know what I mean? Like I, (laughs) I, 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 which I can, I can kind of just be like, you know, I, I would love it to be good. Of course, I want every movie to be good, I, I see. like, But I, will I be, like, so sad if it's not? No, I no. don't think it will be. I think the people involved are incredibly talented and, and have their hearts in the right place. But it also is like, I have, like I said, I have my final cut. It's in the book, you know? It's between those covers, you know?
0: So. I'm not going to spoil anything with this question, but there is an afterword in Clown in a Cornfield 2 that I did read because I do read the afterwords. Nice. Uh, <laughs> but... Um, you kind of, you didn't, you didn't really hint at it, but you kind of hinted at it. Um, I say are, you, the words. <laughs> are you, yeah, are you, are you working on, uh, are you working on, uh, clown and cornfield three and also, uh, are there any other projects that you can talk about that you are excited about that you've got um, in the works?
1: Well, I'll, 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 I'll answer your first question first and then I'll kind of dovetail into, sure. um, like promoting myself, but, um, yeah, I, I, there is no, there is no contract for three. There is no hard and fast you're going to be writing, um, clown three. I would absolutely love for that to happen. Um, I have, but when I wrote the first one, I did not have any aspirations towards it being a series. I did not think, Oh, I'm going to set up two. which everyone who reads is the, the first one. They think that, that, that the, 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 uh,
0: uh, <laughs> uh resolution. The, the,
1: no, no, no. The geez, oh God, Jesus Christ. All right. Well, let's, let's, let's leave this in for me. Uh, the epilogue. Everyone thinks the epilogue. Jeez, oh my! That <laughs> word is what I can. The weirdest thing is I could think of the word prologue, but I could not think of epilogue. Um, the
0: writer forgot. Yeah, epilog
1: yeah, so, we've been talking for forever, yeah, man. We have, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, like, uh, yeah uh, like so. When people read the epilogue of the first book, and they're like, "This guy's trying to get me with an obvious play for a sequel." I just, I just wrote that because that's what you do in slashers. That's right. the that is a that is a genre expectation. If I if I ended the book without that epilogue, I would have been pissed at myself. Like yeah. I, I I want that in there. Um, so it, it, despite what people think, that was not a shallow like play to get a sequel. That was just the way that you end slashers. Like that's yeah. in, my, in my mind. Um, so um, so but but with Clown Two it's the opposite where it was it, I I wanted to tell a completely self contained story, and I think for a lot of these characters fairly definitively not to spoil anything this is the end of the road for them and i and i want them almost the first two to work as a kind of duology for these for characters that are almost aging out of being ya characters Mm -hmm. um but the the i've set it up in such a way and i'm so happy with what's happened and how people have responded to it that i love slashers and i and i think there's so much you can do in the slasher genre that i still have not yet done even with two books the second one's longer than the first one um, I, I, I honestly mean, I honestly mean it when I say it, I can do this for years and, and not feel creatively bankrupt or not feel creatively like pushed because I just love it so much. So like, this is my, this is the part in the podcast where if you're listening and you have not bought on the cornfield to friend lives, um, I would very, very, very much appreciate it because believe me, um, it's like movies where the first weekend or the first week, that's what they look at. That's what publishers look at. They look at that first week, they look at that first month first week mostly. Um, so if you haven't pre-ordered it yet and you're interested in it, please do. I, I would consider it a, uh, a personal favor to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I lo- and, and it's good. You're going to get a good book in return because I, I think it's, I, like Evan said, I, I, I agree. It's. I think the second one's better than the first one and I love the first one. Uh, but I'm, I am I want to do this for years. So please um, order it because uh, that will allow me to do it uh, for years and make a case to my publisher that I can uh, because they have not signed off on that idea. Uh, but that's how I feel about it. And then other stuff to promote, uh, or other stuff I can talk about is. Luckily, this was just announced uh, a couple of weeks ago, so I can talk about it. But I've got a, um, uh, a creator-owned comic book series coming out um, with art by David Stahl. It's called Dead Mall, and I wanted to do something that wasn't just like a, um, you know, oh, uh, like here's a here's a book that I never sold. Let me turn it into a comic. Like okay. I wanted to do something. I wanted to build something from the ground up because I love the comics medium so much that would. Is endemically comic booky, um, and this is about a, um, a group of friends who break into a dead mall um, that's upset to be demolished. Um, and the book is the narrator of the of the comic um, is the mall. The, this mall is this malevolent oh. uh, malevolent force. It's not like a haunting of Hill House type thing. It's not a haunted thing. It is a like an entity onto itself, and it's been stealing people away for like the length of it's it's been open since the 1960s um this mall has been like tucking people away in these little alternate dimensions inside of itself and then as they spend time there they get more and more grotesque more and more creature-esque so it's like a monster horror story and it's a comic horror it is a cosmic horror story and it's i'm just just like i'm shooting a lot at the wall here and i love i i love mall horror and i don't think there's a lot of it uh uh uh, cinema and comics and literature so i just want to I want to completely like do the best mall horror book we can. Um, so that's, uh, David Stahl and Justin Birch is doing the letters and dark horse comics is putting that out. So if you're a comic book reader, um, and you know how to go to a store and, 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 and request titles and you know how to do use the diamond code and stuff like that. It's all on my, um, it's all on my social medias and stuff like that. If you look up dead mall, number one comes out the week of Halloween, which is like the best time to have a horror comic come out. Um, so the first of four issues comes out the week of Halloween.
0: Well folks, that's going to wrap it up for us today here on Book Reviews Kill. Adam, thank you so much for sitting down with me. I mean, we talk about fantasy and science fiction all the time on here, but I feel like we just never get a chance to talk about enough horror and we I got my fix here and I really oh, yeah. appreciate it. And you've written a couple <laughs> like these two books, Clown in a Cornfield and Clown in a Cornfield 2 are really excellent. Everybody that's listening, I'm going to list all of Adam's other work in the description on here. Please go check all of that out because I'm sure it's excellent. And everybody, thank you so much for being here. Adam, seriously, thank you so, you so much. I really appreciate Adam, your Thank time. you so
1: much. This has been, this has been the, best, has probably been the best podcast I've ever been on. So thank you yeah, so much. Yeah, 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 yeah. Really, it was, it was, it was so terrific. It was so terrific. You're, you know, you know, you know your stuff so much and you're such a joy to talk to. So it's very easy for me to get carried away and talk too much, but. No, I love it. That was great. It. Yeah.
0: Cool. Well, everybody, thanks for being here. And uh, of course, happy reading.